some of you are very confused right now, and they, you think I've kind of gone off the deep end because it's the second Sunday in Lent and we're talking about Palm Sunday. But here's what we're doing for this sermon series during Lent. Last week, we started the sermon series looking at the three months that lead up to Jesus, the last week of Jesus' life. And that was when he started in the Galilee. Remember, he came down through Samaria, did a lot of teaching there, and ended up in Jericho. And now what we're doing is we're taking each day of Holy Week. Today it's Palm Sunday because that's the first day of Holy Week. It's the first day of the last week of Jesus' life. Next week we're going to look at Holy Monday. Then we're going to combine Tuesday and Wednesday together. And we're going to Thursday, Friday. We're going to go right through and we end up at Easter. So what we're really trying to do is we're trying to take a look at this period in Jesus' life and what it means to us for our Lent and who we are. And what I want you to remember from last week is there was this, this uh, description of Jesus as king. All right, Messiah, meaning anointed one, uh, or uh, that was in the Hebrew. Then in, in the Greek, it was Christ, which is the same thing, anointed one. Who was the anointed one? The king. Jesus is this long-awaited anointed one or king that Israel has been waiting for for quite some time. And we ended last week talking about Jesus spending the night in Jericho. You remember that? He, came, he took three months and he, and he spends all that time, and he gets down to Jericho. And the, the last night of his life, before entering, the last, before entering uh, Jerusalem on Holy Week, that last night he spends with the greatest sinner in Jericho, the tax collector Zacchaeus. And now we find ourselves at this place this morning where he's going to get up on Palm Sunday, and he's going to begin that journey from Jericho up to Jerusalem, where he knows the, the plans that have been laid out. And uh, it's, it's quite a journey. I want to remind you there's a set of sermon notes in that bulletin that you received. It's a, really an outline of the sermon and the points that I'm trying to get across today. I'd encourage you just to pull that out and write down any notes that you want to remember and take with you. Okay. It's that very first Palm Sunday morning. And uh, Jesus and his disciples get up probably around daybreak, probably around 6 a.m. And they begin that journey, that 16 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. Now, it's about a six-hour journey on foot. It's, a, it's an arid desert land. There's a lot of uh, hills and rocks and things to go across, so it's not a, a really quick walk. So he and his disciples take this walk. It takes them about six hours. It's a difficult journey, and they get to the very last hill before you get to Jerusalem, and that last hill is the Mount of Olives. Now, if you're on the Mount of Olives today, here's the view that you would have from the Mount of Olives today. It's actually, uh, you, you recognize that as the Dome of the Rock. So if you're on the Mount of Olives and you're looking down across the Kidron Valley and you see the Dome of the Rock over there, the Dome of the Rock is the third holiest shrine in, in the Muslim faith, okay? That's what it looks like today. Now, in Jesus' day, when he would have come up to the Mount of Olives and looked across, he would have seen something more like this, and that is where the temple was built. So the Dome of the Rock is where the original temple was built, and this is what Jesus would have been seeing. So he gets to the top of the Mount of Olives and he's looking across the valley at this in Herod's temple. I mean, it's just absolutely incre incredible, the great temple that, that Herod built. And he's looking at that and he asks for a donkey. Now, why does he ask for a donkey? This is one of the great signs. What we heard in our earlier reading today was the prophecy from Zechariah that was written 550 years earlier and it said, Jerusalem, your king comes riding to you on a donkey, victorious and trumpet, triumphant, in humility, on a donkey, he comes to you. Now, this is strange. Jesus just walked six hours across a very arid, dry, desert land, and in the last half a mile, he asked for a donkey. 
It's that clear sign that he is the one, that he is the king that they've been waiting for. And what we really have to understand here is, there, is the historical and religious background to this. He gets on a donkey. We, we hear that from Zechariah, but as soon as he gets on that donkey, everybody recognizes it. It's a sign. Jesus, they're asking this question, who is this? Who is this? Well, he's riding on a donkey and he's coming into town. And people are shouting Hosanna and they're waving those palm branches. This must be the king that we've been waiting for. And we have to go back a few years to, to understand this. There's something that happens in the fall of the year in the Jewish faith. It's called the, the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. And if you have uh, Jewish friends who are active in the synagogues, they would recognize and do these things. The Feast of Tabernacles is a, rec is, is a recognition of the day when Israel lived in tents in the wilderness. So what the, the Jews do when they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, they all set up little tents or little huts, all right? And they actually live in them for a little bit and, and they actually act out what it must have been like to be in the wilderness. It reminds them that we didn't always have a home. We were nomadic, we were on our own, but God led us and brought us to this place. So there they are instructed in Leviticus every fall at the harvest time to do this. Set up your tents and live in them as if you are in the wilderness. And oh, by the way, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to take three branches. They're commanded to take the myrtle, the willow, and the palm, and they're supposed to bind them together. And what they do is they wave them, all right? And they wave them. And what they do when they're doing this, they look at the Psalms. They look at Psalm 113 and 118. And Psalm 118 says this, save us or deliver us, O God. And that word is Hosanna. So what they're supposed to do during the Feast of Tabernacles is they bind those three together and they wave them and they say, Hosanna, deliver us, save us, O God. And what they would have been doing is save us from these awful Romans, save us from these awful Syrians, save us from our oppressors. And that's what they do still today. And what they do at the great feast, that is the seventh night of the Feast of Tabernacles, they take their palm, their willow, and their myrtle branch, and they walk seven times around the temple or around the uh, synagogue shouting Hosanna. Bring up that next picture, Kevin. We have, this is what it looks like in modern day uh, Israel during the last night of the Feast of Tabernacles. They are walking around. You can see they have their branches there kind of all bound together. They're following the commands in Leviticus. And they walk around shouting Hosanna, asking God to save them. And this is what they do. If you want to watch this, you can go on YouTube actually and find this on YouTube. It's a very interesting thing uh, to watch. And what they're doing is they're praying for God to send that king, to send that, that Messiah who will come and re uh, remove the oppressors from their midst. And there's another thing that we want to remember here, and we've got to reflect on some history. 165 years before Jesus was born, there was a ruler that came in and conquered the Holy Land. Actually, they had been there for quite a while. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes, and Antiochus Epiphanes wanted nothing more than to take Israel and make it more like Greece. He wanted it to be Greek in every way. He brought in the idols and the statues. What Antiochus Epiphanes did, and that's the Seleucids, okay? So they come in, and what they actually did when uh, the Jews got upset and said, no way, you're not doing that here, he went into the temple, and this is 164, 165 BC, he went into the temple and he sacrificed a pig, a swine, on the altar. That was the ultimate act of humiliation, and it enraged the Jewish people. And they prayed, singing, Hosanna, bring to us a, a deliverer who would release us from this. So there was a father who had three sons. 
And this father had three sons, and they began a revolt against the Seleucids. And the first revolt was to cleanse the temple. And what they did is they chased the uh, Syrians out of the temple, and what they did is they cleansed the temple and they rededicated it to God. Today we know that Jewish holiday as Hanukkah. Hanukkah celebrates that time in 164-165 BC when this family came and absolutely rid the temple of the Greek influence and cleansed it and they could start their worship again. That family became known as the Maccabee family. Judas Maccabee was the oldest of the brothers. He cleansed the temple and what happened is he cleansed the temple and left Jerusalem. When he came back to Jerusalem, what did the people do? They grabbed their palm branches as he entered the city and they started shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, because Judas Maccabee was coming back, the one who chased out the Seleucids and cleansed the temple. Then several years later, his younger brother, Simon Maccabee, came and he chased the, the Syrians, not just out of Jerusalem, but out of all of the Holy Land. And when Simon Maccabee returned to the city of Jerusalem, what did they do? They grabbed their branches and they started waving and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. They were looking at these Maccabee brothers as the king, the, the awaited king who would come and rid, rid the oppressors and restore Israel to its former glory. That's what they were thinking. That's what they were thinking. And you know, we learned uh, last week as, as we were um, talking, there was uh, revolt after revolt after revolt. So when you know that's what was happening before, when Jesus comes in and they're shouting Hosanna and they're waving their palm branches, they're saying, Jesus, be like Simon Maccabee, be like Judas Maccabee and chase those terrible Romans out because we don't want to pay taxes anymore. You know, we want to be restored to the former glory of David and Solomon. We want all of those things. Save us now, Jesus, Hosanna, son of David, do it again. But the thing is, Jesus wasn't going to be the kind of king that would pick up a sword and do that. He had a different way. He called them to a different kingdom. He called them to a kingdom that, that transcends all races and geographical boundaries, a kingdom that exists in our hearts. And that kingdom would not be won over by a sword. He laid out for them a very different path, and that path would lead to peace. But they didn't understand that. They didn't understand this path that he laid out. They only understood that they needed a sword to chase out those Romans. So within the next four days, they would openly and willingly turn on Jesus, saying that he must die. This wasn't the king that would answer their prayers and shouts of Hosanna, at least in the way they intended. So we come to Jesus descending the Mount of Olives with, with people shouting Hosannas. He's on the back of the donkey. The signs have all been set. The people are doing exactly what they're supposed to do, but he gets halfway down, and he does something very strange. The scriptures tell us he begins to weep. And this is strange because there's only two times in scripture we find that Jesus weeps. He doesn't, he doesn't weep when he's uh, taken by the Romans and tortured. He doesn't weep when he's on the cross. He doesn't weep the night before in Gethsemane. He weeps when his good friend Lazarus dies and he looks out over the tremendous grief the people are experiencing. He can't control himself. And he weeps. And he weeps here as he's descending the Mount of Olives, looking out over the, the city. And he weeps because he knows that the people are going to reject this path that he lays out. He weeps, and we hear about it in Luke, where Luke says, as he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, if even you had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, 
But now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in from every side. They will crush you to the ground and you and your children within you, and they will allow not one stone upon another to remain because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Jesus is weeping as he looks over the city because he knows they're not going to accept this pathway of peace, which is how you overthrow the Romans with sacrificial love. Instead, they will demand a king who picks up a sword and chases them out by force. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that they're going to follow another, another king, and that king is going to lead a revolt. And what's going to happen is the Romans are going to rise up, and they're going to utterly destroy what's left of Jerusalem and Judea. He knows that within one generation, 40 years later, that the holy city will be wiped out. And as he envisions this, as he sees the view from the Mount of Olives, he can't control himself. And he begins to weep. And we know what happens from there because we know the story. Story: There are uh, revolt after revolt. Finally, in 66 AD, there's revolts that are happening in the north and the south. And, and those two uh, factions that are revolting, they don't even get along with each other. And eventually, Rome has had enough. So what Rome does is they send in the absolute best army they have. The 10th Legion comes in, and they start in the north, and they basically take control and wipe out the north. And you know what Samaria did? Remember in the middle? You remembered. Uh, we got Galilee, Samaria, and we got Judea. Samaria made a truce with the Romans, and the Romans just marched straight on through. And then when they got down to the south, what they did was they surrounded the city. And for three and a half years, there was uh, famine in the city. And there was inner turmoil in the city as everyone came together, but those factions didn't get together. And finally, after that three and a half years, the famine was so bad, Jews began to escape, and they began to build ramparts up on the walls. And as those Jews escaped and the Romans would capture them, they would put them on crosses and crucify them outside the city to see, this is what happens to you when you go up against Rome. And they say they crucified so many that they had to take crosses down to put up new crosses. And after that three and a half years, when the Romans finally breached the walls and got inside, they slaughtered 1.1 million Jews. They plundered the city. They took 90,000 captives back to Rome as, as slaves. And actually, the Arch of Titus. Show the Arch of Titus. This is something that still exists today. If you go to Rome, you can see the Arch of Titus, which is actually a depiction of the great victory of Rome over Judea when the Jews rose up against the Romans. You can see what they're carrying there. You see the menorah. And, and you see some of the other furniture from the temple, and you see the slaves who are bound and walking. This is the parade of victory over a people who were utterly crushed. This is what Jesus is seeing. This is Jesus' vision as he's coming down the Mount of Olives to go into the temple. Because Jesus knew they would pursue the way of the sword, and he knew that they would be absolutely destroyed. This celebration of the Romans was a victory over a people that would be absolutely crushed. And we need to be very clear here. What Jesus is talking about when he's coming into the city is he's talking about two paths. And he's saying one path is a narrow path, but if you take it, it leads to peace. And this other path, it's broad, and a lot of people go down that path, but it leads to destruction. And he's putting these two paths, these two, this decision up to the people in that day, not much different from our day. And he's letting them know that the path that I choose for you is the path of peace. But he knew they wouldn't take it. He knew they wouldn't take it. He's already told them what they're supposed to do. 
In all of his teachings, we have this, right? In all of his teachings, he would tell them, he says, hey, if the Roman comes to you and asks ask you to carry their pack for a mile, which was the legal, it was legal for a Roman to do that. He could come to you and say, carry my pack for a mile, I'm very tired. And Jesus said, don't carry it for one mile, carry it for another mile. Jesus said, if they come and they slap you on the cheek, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to turn the other cheek. Jesus says, hey, when they demand your coat, give them your coat and give them your cloak along with it. Jesus said you're supposed to pray for your enemies. You're supposed to uh, love those who persecute you, do good for those who wrong you, and show mercy to those who uh, need forgiveness, even if they don't deserve it or ask for it. That's what life in the kingdom is like. But Jesus knew they wouldn't follow those directions and those teachings. But Jesus is telling them, if you do this, you will defeat your enemies. They couldn't do it. Why? Because they desired glory. They wanted the fame of sovereignty. They wanted to be the great Israel again. And God says, I don't care about that stuff. I care about what's in here. Which path are you going to be taking? They knew, Jesus knew they would take the path of the sword, revolt against the Romans. You know, we see that today. We see it all over the place today. You know, in the Middle East, the Palestinians lived there for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they thought it was their land, but Israel comes in and, and pushes them back. And now Palestine sees Israel as the oppressors. And what do they do? They send in suicide bombers, and they shoot their rockets. Well, you know, Israel says, we need security. We can't deal with this. So what they do is they hem the Palestinians in with the walls, right? And they send the F-15s over, right? And what does that do? The, the Palestinians says, we can't deal with that. So they send more suicide bombers and more rockets. It's an endless cycle of violence. Does that lead to peace? No, that doesn't lead to peace. And it's not just there. Pakistan, Iran, Syria, your house. It crosses all borders and boundaries. And Jesus says, this is not what I want for you. The path of peace. But they couldn't see it because it's just counterintuitive. It doesn't work. And that's the way it is among all types of things in life, in every dimension. There's a whole host of things out there that you can apply this to. There's two paths. There's the narrow, the narrow path, and there's the wide path. In the narrow path, you find joy and peace. And in the wide path, you find heartache and separation from God. Lent is the time of year that we take a look at our hearts and we say to God, God, am I on the right path? What path are you choosing? Are you still on the journey with Jesus, or have you begun to stray? There's a great documentary that was made back in 2007. It's called, I believe it's called Resting Places, and a young lady by the name of uh, Melissa Villanueva. Melissa Villanueva was a, uh, a uh, staff member of a, a uh, United Methodist Church down south, but she worked for N, uh, not PBS, making documentaries. And Melissa had a fascination with roadside memorials. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's the little crosses that are set up where there's an accident and somebody dies. And she, Melissa saw these and she says, I gotta figure out what the, this sociological phenomenon is all about. So she spent time and went around the world and interviewed people about these uh, memorials. And she ran into a family in Mexico called the Sanchez family. Now the story of the Sanchez family is a very sad one. The Sanchez family, mom and dad, and the, their two twin boys were in the backseat of the car and they were coming home one night. And a woman who was driving intoxicated come across, came across the center line and hit them head on and the, uh, the two twin boys died in that crash. Uh, mom and dad survived. They were injured, but they survived. 
And what uh, Mr. and Mrs. Sanchez did is they set up a memorial. Kevin, can you put up that memorial? They set up a, a roadside memorial. Uh, this is not exactly it, but it was something like this, a couple of crosses, and they had candles and lights, and, and they would tend it as a little garden and put flowers out there and so forth. And, you know, Melissa Villanueva went and interviewed the Sanchez family and, and got to understand why they did this. They said, you know, this is us remembering, you know, just a, a horrible event that we'll never forget. We will be changed forever for that. But what absolutely takes your breath away is when you pull back from that and you see the whole memorial. There's three crosses. Because the Sanchez family put up a third cross for the lady who was driving intoxicated who died in the crash also. And you know, I realize when I look at that, they had a choice to make. Could they put up two crosses and just remember their sons? But what about the lady, when, when, the, when the Sanchez family was asked, they said, why did you put up a third cross? They said, look, we made a decision. That lady was somebody's daughter too. She was a child of God. And the decision that they had to make is, do we put up two crosses and continue to hate her and continue to hate what happened? Or do we put up a third cross and we tend to that grave also in that memorial? Let me ask you a question. Which path leads to peace? To hate and devour and to hold it in? Or to love and remember and give it up? I don't know how they did that. I don't know if I could do that. But that's a good illustration of the paths that we are offered in so many different ways. They maintain those memorials, and they don't hate, and they take flowers to not only their son's cross, but to that woman's cross too. And in not knowing how I can, how I can even understand how they do that, I hope to learn from them that if I'm ever in that position, I can know that the right path to take is the one that leads to peace. Have you strayed off the path? Lent is the time that we ask ourselves these questions. You know, and, and I have to ask myself this today. Do you think Jesus weeps over nations today? When Jesus looks down and sees what we're doing, do you think he still weeps? Do you think he looks at us? And do you think he looks at the decisions we make on a daily basis? I think he's there. He's saying, no, don't do it. That's the wrong path. Go this way. There's peace over here. Just, it's just heartache and separation over here. I think he still does that. Because here's what I know in my own life. I, I mean, I don't mean to do it, but it happens in little degrees. It's a millimeter here and a quarter of an inch there. And in very small degrees, I start doing something. And before I know it, I'm off the path. And I think it happens to all of us. And today is the day. Lent is the time when we get back on the path. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell these people in Jerusalem. That's what he's trying to show them. And there's one last idea, one last thing that happens here that I, I want you to know today. Jesus weeps, and then he continues on his journey on down the, the mountain of uh, uh, Mount of Olives, and he crosses the Kidron Valley. He goes into the city, and he enters the temple. And when he gets to the temple, of course, there's, uh, we've looked at the temple before. You have the Holy of Holies in the middle, and then the court of the priest, and then as you make your way out, you get to the court of the women, and then the court of the Gentiles. And when he comes into the court of the Gentiles, there is where he sees the money changers and, uh, and those selling the doves and so forth. And this is how it's described in Matthew 21, 12. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. 
He's cleansing the temple. And it's at this moment that all those people who are shouting Hosanna realize this is not the king we were shouting Hosanna for. This is not the king that's going to come in and give a rousing speech and, and gather the troops and push those filthy Romans out of our city and back to where they belong. This is not the one. So why was Jesus so upset? Remember, it was the Maccabees who cleansed the temple the first time and received those hosannas. Why was Jesus so upset? This is why he was so upset. Because to come to the temple meant you had to pay your temple tax at the Feast of Passover. And to pay your temple tax, you had to do that in temple currency. And people coming from all over the Middle East did not have temple currency. They had currency from whatever land they were in. So the priests would set up tables to exchange that currency. Now, just like you, when you travel overseas and you exchange currency for another country, there's a little fee that gets paid for that. And there was a fee being charged by those in the, uh, at the uh, changing tables. And that fee was three hours wages for a common laborer, okay? So it would be three hours wages to change your money and give the temple tax. Now, your temple tax was a couple of days wages, all right? That was on top of your tithes and offerings, by the way. But here's the thing, if you needed change, for your uh, temple tax currency, that was another three hours wage. So if you exchange your money and got some change, that was six hours of wages. Now that would be like you coming in here and I would say, you know, in order to give your offering today, what you have to do is you have to change your American money into Wayne dollars, all right? And to get those Wayne dollars, I'm gonna charge you whatever you get, whatever you make in an hour, you know, just whatever your hourly wages, we're gonna charge that back to you to do that. And if you need change, we're gonna charge it to you again, okay? And then you can come in and, and put that money in there. That's what they were doing. And what was interesting here, Jesus saw what was happening. Jesus had no problem with the priest making a wage. It says in Leviticus, you're supposed to make a wage. God's okay with that. But what he saw was there was in these little incremental steps ways that the priests and those who were in the leadership in the temple began to take advantage and steal from the people. And he knew that was wrong, taking advantage of people. So if you needed a dove and you came into the temple, now a dove outside the temple was one day's wage. But if you came into the temple, Barclay tells us, if you were getting a certified, you know, pre-examined holy dove, that was 20 days wages. Jesus sees this and he realizes that they're stealing from the people. And he realizes that this is not a good thing. Oh, and by the way, you know, if we changed it into Wayne dollars back there, I would get a little piece of that and the DS would get a little piece of that and the bishop would get a piece of that. See how wrong this is? And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that this wasn't going to work. So he quotes Jeremiah the prophet and says, You have taken my father's house. It was meant to be a house of prayer, and you turned it into a den of thieves. You're stealing from the people, and you're enriching your own pockets. And Jesus was not going to put up with that. And you know those people who were priests? They were just doing their job. They wanted to work for God. It was just little by little by little by little. They decided to serve God, they decided to serve money instead of God. And, and, you know, Paul puts it to us this way. The love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's the challenge they had back then, and that's the challenge we have today. Is it going to be God or is it going to be money? You know, and it's not just money, it's all other sorts of things where we compromise ourselves and our faith and we choose the wider path instead of the narrower path. And Lent is the time for self-examination. It's that time when we go to God and we say, God, what are you weeping over in my life? 
What do I need to change in my temple, in here? What do I need to be cleansed from so that I can get back on the path and be the person that you call me to be? And Jesus said, if only the people knew of the things that lead to peace. He came not only to cleanse the temple that first day, but he came to cleanse our temples of sins so that we can have the life that he promises. And we now understand what that means when we will sing our hosannas, what it means to have God come and save us. Save us from what? Hosanna, Jesus, come and save us from ourselves. Because we have a problem with picking the right path. And that's the invitation that we have during this Lent. Remember Jesus' first sermon. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and that's still his invitation today. Would you pray with me?